0: Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Marchalero, And this week, my guest is former Apple Director of Federal Sales, David Sabata. David, welcome.
1: Well, John, I appreciate the chance to talk to you.
0: Yeah, it's been a while since we've met. And for the listeners, I'll give you a short intro. David Sabata joined Apple in 1984. His career there lasted until July of 2004. During that time, David went from being an entry-level sales representative based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Scotia, covering Atlantic Canada for the rest, and then moved to the, eventually the Reston, Virginia-based office for Apple Federal Sales, and became a director of federal sales. He's gained intimate knowledge of Apple along the way, its culture, and the leadership of Steve Jobs. And, by the way, David was my boss from 2003 to 2004, and a glorious time we had indeed. So... You've written a book called The Palm Company, and it's, it's a fabulous essay on your life and times at Apple for 20 years. But tell me, how did you get started at Apple? I mean, before you started at Apple, you were a cattleman in Canada, right? How did that happen?
1: Well, that's correct. Um, I had uh, 200 head of cattle up until uh, 1982 when we sold our uh, herd of cattle. I well, actually we sold the herd of cattle in 1981, and after working uh, cattle for 10 years, I decided to take a year off. During my year off, I was driving one of my uh, children into uh, play school in Fredericton, New Brunswick, which was about 20 miles from our farm, uh, and I had to kill three hours a day, and so there was a mini-computer dealership, a TI mini-computer dealership in Fredericton, and they had a showroom, so I would often spend some cold winter days in the morning in there talking to the salesman, the one salesman. The only products they had were TI-99-4As, which was an early game machine. And uh, I think about three months in, I ended up buying one and just, just for the kids to play with. And um, I got a new job, uh, just a part-time job that spring. Uh, early spring of 1982, and it was writing a newsletter for the uh, Canadian Angus Association. And I wrote the first few newsletters and uh, uh, had an old uh, photo, uh, one of the original sort of photocopy machines, uh, made copies of the letter, did truly cut and paste with a typewriter to make it happen, and uh, hand addressed them. It took like two and a half days to address all the newsletters <laughs> and send them out. It was amazing. So uh, late that summer, uh, this little mini computer dealership got in their first Apple II Plus. And I was still going into town and I sat down with it and I said, This is really cool. And uh, so I ended up buying uh, an Apple II Plus, DB Master, Apple Writer 2, and an Epson MX80 printer. DB Master, and I don't I think I've sure ever heard also. of that. Was that a word processor? No, DB Master was actually a database.
0: <laughs> oh, so you could keep the database of your um, subscribers and then print out
1: labels? Right. Well, that was the theory. And actually what <laughs> I did was uh, I ended up keeping some cattle records in there and uh, programming it. And the, the database stuff kind of ended up being very interesting in the early days of, uh, of uh, computers. But anyway, after... Just a a few days, I knew more about the Apple two um, than most of the people in the store. My mother, who was desperate to, for me to do something besides farm, she thought my Harvard education should be something other than a farmer, lead me to something other than being a farmer, so she bought me an Apple two plus and with the printer and everything, so it was like uh I think it was something over three thousand dollars and uh I remember uh, timing the first set of labels that came out of there. And um, I think it was a couple of minutes instead of two days. And so from that point on, I said, there's something to this technology. And um, so uh, as soon as I bought the computer, the guys at the store, the owners figured out that uh, I knew more about it than than anyone. And they – also figured out that uh, someone who could be selling black cows and differentiating th- differentiating those could probably be selling computers. So they hired me. Uh, it took them about a month to convince me to be their first salesperson in their first store, the first real salesperson. Uh, the guy who I had been talking to was actually a database programmer, a DB math, DB uh, programmer. So. Uh, I went to work for them, and with in about a year, I had over twenty salespeople. We'd opened three more stores and we had two or three repair people and a couple of programmers and so it it was very interesting uh you know I mean it was the the growth time of computers we had people come in and uh you know they'd buy a computer. You'd have to wait till you got it in, and we did some uh, really interesting things. We sold a lot of, surprisingly enough, a lot of custom applications, and I still keep the invoice. I still have it uh, of the one of the most expensive ones. I sold one Apple IIe for for over twenty thousand dollars. Wow! wow. It, it had a Corvus uh, a five meg. Corvus hard drive. I remember those <clears throat> five
0: megabytes compared to a 130k floppy. It was glorious.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it was it was huge. It was the size of uh, um, two or three old VCRs. And uh, when you and it was all done in Pascal, and you wanted to resize the drive, you had to move. Up. It was it was amazing. anyway. You know, those days yeah. we were
0: hungry for information about computers. We were hungry to have our own computer in our own house instead of having to go to work and use the companies. And the simplicity of the computers at the time allowed us to learn by leaps and bounds.
1: Oh, and and it it was and the things that you had to do to make this stuff work then pretty amazing because the Corvus hard drive not only did it have a hard drive but it had Corvus networking, so we were able to uh, network and uh, you were able actually to. have shared files on a uh, of a database and really a very very sophisticated uh, database entry. So it was pretty impressive what you could do. And our whole company, what one of the things that we did, we were also working with uh, the TI Minis, doing job costing software, and we ported stuff to CPM. So we had a lot of Apple IIes with CPM cards in them.
0: How did your work at that company translate into getting hired by Apple?
1: Well, um, there were very, uh, at at the time when I started working with the company, uh, Apple didn't even exist in Canada. It was just rep firms. So so there was a a rep from Apple out of uh, Quebec city that came down and visited us. And so there was really no Apple in Canada at that time, but, um, We were one of the, we quickly became one of the largest Apple II dealers around. In fact, our sales went from uh, that first few Apple II pluses that sold that summer to we were selling close to $4 million worth of Apple IIs a year and uh, a lot of it in education. And so that's about 3,000
0: computers a year. That's pretty darn good at that time. Yeah
1: that's that's a lot especially when you consider the total uh population at the time of the maritime provinces was a, just a little over a million people and uh, so it was pretty impressive and, and and the other the other thing i think was very interesting was that the people that were selling computers then were some of the brightest people that you could get i mean you didn't you didn't have what geeks basically you you had people that were business people that were just desperate to learn about computers. And so we got the best of the college graduates that would come and interview us with us. But anyway, I started a training course, training, trained salespeople and created this. Uh, I mean, I spent all my time traveling between the stores. And so I got to know the uh, the Apple rep very well. And then when, uh, I see it coming.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So when Apple uh, decided to come to Canada, Apple came to me and said, we sure would like to hire you, but we can't hire you if you're working for a dealer. So uh, uh, I, by that time, I had been to Toronto and seen Steve Jobs uh, demonstrate a when when And as soon as I saw that, um, I basically... I basically knew that I wanted to work for Apple. I said this, uh," I mean, I had done enough hard stuff with the Apple II to realize when I saw Steve Jobs draw a circle on the uh, screen of the Macintosh, that this was something absolutely revolutionary. So um, when they uh, said resign, it sort of came up to the point in the company that I was there, the The company wanted to go... We were selling IBM products also. uh, Actually, I think we were selling the TI Professional computers, an MS-DOS compatible. And we were working hard to get IBM authorized. And uh, it just got to the point where I uh, I said, uh, you know, I'm going to take a leap of faith and and basically um, see if uh, Apple is for me. And so... In November of of, uh, 1984, I got hired.
0: This was right after, right about the time the Mac came out, right?
1: Yeah, it was just, it was within the first couple hundred days of when the Mac came out. I was still in the store when we were selling Macs. We had lists of 30 and 50 people uh, in line to buy Macs as fast as we could get them. It was pretty amazing. and uh, But as... You know, there were there were lots of limitations to that early Macintosh. And so it was uh, it was exciting, but it was also frustrating. So I went to work at the time with Apple uh, when the Mac was you know, sort of in a transition mode. And um, one of the first things that I did after I joined Apple and got my own a Mac was I took and had a hyperdrive put in it. And I happened to be living in uh, Halifax then, Halifax, Nova Scotia. And the guys that were running Hyperdrive in Canada uh, were in Halifax, and so uh, I ended up with a 512K Fat Mac with a Hyperdrive in it. And so I spent uh, a lot of time traveling around there uh, in the Maritimes. But it was a it was a strange time because people were still buying Apple II's. In fact. Just after I uh, joined Apple about a year and a half later, uh, I did the largest single sale that Apple had done in Canada. I sold an Apple E to every single class, fifth grade classroom in Nova Scotia. It was 1,800 Apple IIs in oh, one sale. That must have made an impression in Cupertino. <laughs> it did. It did. Uh, Well, it made an impression in Canada, and and it was probably the the scariest time of my uh, career because I had to um, convince Apple to bring the product in, including uh, some precious first uh, composite color monitors that Apple had been able to get, and store them in Toronto. And the uh, product, there was so much product that it was in tractor trailers, outside the uh, warehouse in uh, Toronto and it went on as many government orders do for uh, weeks. It seemed like, and in fact, I had to come to Toronto to present about, uh, you know, a a, a quarterly operations review and my manager looked at me and he said, look, I've uh, had your back enough on this, uh, Order of apples, and uh, you haven't gotten the PO yet, so you're probably going to get crucified this afternoon. And so he says, I, "I'm going to have you go later because I don't want the cru- your crucifixion to look so bad." So we they did the morning presentations, and we were having lunch, and one of the guys from the order entry um, came up, came running upstairs. We were upstairs and said, "Dave, we got the PO." <laughs> hmm. so i i changed my presentation and i was the hero of the afternoon instead of the goat so, so, I, a, a, so a, i'm
0: a little bit unclear about the timeline with you did you then go to cupertino before you ended up in reston yeah.
1: no um uh, i uh, worked at uh at apple canada until uh 1987 and in 1987, we were faced with a choice of uh, the next step was to, to go to Toronto. And uh, we just didn't want to go to Toronto. Uh, it was farther, even farther away from my relatives. So I started looking for a job in Apple USA. And I interviewed for a couple of positions, one in Columbia, Maryland, and one in Charlotte. The people in Charlotte wanted to hire me, but they're the, as it often has, has a case, is the case in Apple, the position fell apart before they could get a job offer to me. So I went to yeah. So I went to work in Columbia, Maryland, and uh, it was probably one of the scariest times of my life because I walked in to take the job in Columbia, and the guy who was leaving the job handed me a box of stuff and walked out the door and said, "Good luck." And it turned out that they had convinced me to come take over what they said was a great reseller, but the reseller was almost bankrupt. And uh, I ended up making some really hard decisions, refusing to sell them product unless they pay us in cash. And, uh, and uh, eventually uh, just uh, – uh, not not enjoy did not enjoy uh, working with that particular manager and uh, but I did uh, work with one reseller after that and I took them to being the second largest reseller in the area and we it, it was amazing uh, at that time how many computers uh, we were selling because that was the time of the Apple the Mac Twos came out.
0: I had one of those. Oh, yeah. Nice.
1: So, really, well, they were really popular in the government, and it was not unusual for this one location that I had with this reseller to sell two or three million dollars worth of product in a month, in a good month. So it was. Um, it was at that time that I built some really good relationships with Cupertino. I got oh, to fly no. out and do did my first executive briefings in 1987, and uh, just did did really well with this reseller. Uh, um, I could tell at the time. Uh, Apple's, as you may know, has been stressful by times to to work for, and oh, yeah.
0: that particular oh,
1: yeah. that particular office was a very stressful office. So. Uh, run by a couple of brothers, and uh, one was, did the education part, one did the uh, reseller part, and I finally just said, look, I, I really like to get it back into education, because that was kind of where my heart was. I really enjoyed uh, calling on education people, and so uh, uh, once again, they gave me a challenge. They said, uh, okay, we're going to give you uh, Virginia, and hmm. and I I said. Is it is it any better than the reseller I uh, I, I had before? And they said marginally. <laughs> so anyway, uh, when I took over Virginia, the first big challenge is, uh, was Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech at the time was one of the first places that was requiring some students to buy computers. They were actually uh, requiring computer science students all 150. Entering computer science students to buy Mac Mac Twos running AUX. The AUX you know, the was Mac Apple's implementation of BSD the, on the
0: 68k processor. Yes, it was,
1: and 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 they were giving them prices that were just unbelievably low to buy that, but they wouldn't. Apple wouldn't let anybody else on campus have access to that that price, so. Apple was selling, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff on campus. And it was a campus of 23,000 students. So I still remember going and meeting with Bob Hedrick, who was the vice president of information technology there. And Bob was actually on the board uh, of Next and knew Steve Jobs. And one of the cool things, you walked into Bob's desk. It was very uh, office. It was very minimalist uh he had one he had a, a desk and a mac and that was it and uh, so anyway uh bob basically told me he says look as long as you're going to keep everybody else from getting special price good prices on campus uh you're you're never going to sell much on this campus he said uh and i I'll never forget this quote he says computer uh computer science has all the characteristics of a dog except loyalty <laughs> So, in the to make a long story short, uh, I made friends with engineering and other uh, the College of Architecture and other people. And uh, within a, a very short time, Virginia Tech was buying millions of dollars worth of Macs—just millions of dollars. Computer Science left us, but we had the, we had the campus, and Virginia Tech went on to be. Uh, a multi multi-million dollar campus well david it's uh,
0: time for a short break we're gonna have to take a a break and uh we'll be right back folks in 60 seconds stay with us i'm chatting with david sabata former apple director of Federal sales we'll be right back
1: hello there all you fabulous background mode listeners I'm Kelly Gamont with the Mac Observer, and I just want to say a few words about how you can support all the things we do. If you're thinking about buying something from Apple, Amazon, or Mac Mall, just go to the Mac Observer's homepage where we have a section called Support TMO, or you can just enter MacObserver.com forward slash Apple Store, all one word, and that will take you to our special page for Apple and our other affiliates. If you make a purchase from one of our partners this way, the Mac Observer receives a small compensation for sending business their direction. Pretty cool, right? And you don't pay a penny more. This small fee from our affiliates helps us continue to bring you TMOs, daily news, reviews, tips, how-tos, and podcasts like this one. So the next time you're thinking about an online purchase, come to TMO's homepage and support the Mac Observer. Thanks. Back to you, John.
0: We're back. I'm chatting with former Apple Director of Federal Sales, David Sabata. Well, we're going to have to jump ahead a little bit. Let's jump forward to the point where you're, I think, in the '90s and forming the federal sales team,
1: and, yeah, the, and the return was, of
0: Steve Jobs. Uh, parallel.
1: Well, um, that that was a pretty interesting time because we we went through uh, a lot of very strange things before Steve came back. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I think you were probably in California, John, when we went through the kiosk sales thing where we were trying to sell uh, IMAX as kiosk to, uh, and that was our enterprise strategy. And so after Steve came back, um, it was clearly uh, a consumer company, but the company was very dependent on the re- revenue from professional systems. So at a certain, uh, at, at one of those unique times at Apple, Uh, Apple came to, uh, the higher-ups at Apple came to me and said, look, um, we really want you to try to take over the federal sales market. And having been through a lot of things, having been from the uh, business division to the education division, back to the business division, uh, back to an enterprise division, I was a little leery. And uh, especially when I said, well, what kind of resources am I going to have? And they said, well, um, we're going to give you one sales rep on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, one system engineer, uh, someone to look after the resellers, and one and uh, your area associate and yourself. And that's your team to cover the federal market. Well, uh, it was one of those uh, offers that you can't refuse, even though uh, that's a tiny team to look after the world's largest largest IT market. So... We sort of jumped into it, and um, it was clearly a, a great time to be selling anything but Windows to the federal market. Windows was virus ridden. Uh, there were lots of people that were worried about it. And so we thrived. Uh, over the, the first year, we we more than uh, tripled federal sales. What year Fed- was this? This would have been ninety eight, ninety nine, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, federal sales had been sort of part of my uh, uh, team for a while, but it was only one person, and the one, and I, I had kind of, in fact, uh, Apple had tried to get rid of it a couple of times, and uh, we'd sort of hidden it, and we had covered NASA. Uh, almost uh, without telling anybody we were covering NASA. And we had done the same thing with NIH and tried to treat them like the accounts that they're, they they really, like they should be, should have been. And so anyway, um, we thrived. And at a certain point, uh, Apple said, uh, well, we need to give you more resources, et cetera, et cetera. And so eventually we went from, um, Almost no resources to over 20 people. Uh, We tended to triple sales in every year. Triple. Yep. Unfortunately, as you know, uh, they managed to more than triple our quotas. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't end up making a lot of money, but uh, we we did sell a lot of computers. And we did some very unique things. Uh, One of the things that... uh, I'm most proud of is we we did a, a federal employee purchase plan so that uh, federal employees and contractors could buy directly from Apple and uh, we partnered with the Apple stores so that uh, you know they could get uh, their revenue credit we could get our revenue credit and and that the people that were the federal employees that were buying could could get hooked up with uh, people who knew how to make their federal computers work because those were the days, I and I trust you remember, John, where we uh, managed to get uh, smart card support built into the OS ten. Oh, yeah. And, and we had uh, some NIST certifications and uh, we signed some CRADA agreements with uh, NSA and some other folks. Cooperative Research it's and other. Development, right? Right. And that was also the time where We got the – we had our uh, short-lived supercomputer effort, which started down in uh, Virginia Tech back in my home stomping grounds when they decided to buy a bunch of G5s and uh, turn them into an impressive supercomputer. G5 had an
0: (laughs) IBM-built chip that was the little brother of some bigger chips that were being used in IBM supercomputers, and so it was very natural to uh, use that, unfortunately, the x wasn't quite ready yet. Yeah. So they had racks and racks of Power Mac G5 cheese graters, 1,000 of them. It was a sight to behold.
1: It was. And it was sort of, I guess, one of the really interesting things is, um, is to go back a little bit to Virginia Tech. When I started working with Virginia Tech uh, as the Apple rep for Virginia Tech, there were 75 IBM employees that supported Virginia Tech. And one of the key decisions that Virginia Tech made in the early years that I was working with them was to move away from the mainframe and to go to distributed computing. And uh, I was told multiple times that Virginia Tech saved enough money in their maintenance contract and canceling their maintenance contract on the mainframe to pay for the transition. So it was a natural progression to go to something like, uh, you know, the big supercomputer and try to make that work. And um, So these thousand
0: thousand DeFi's were tied together with something called InfiniBand, which was a networking protocol that enabled parallel processing so you could distribute the load of a task on these supercomputers and aggregate the results.
1: Yeah. And, one of the, and actually, one of, the, uh, one of the last things I did for Apple, or what I did for Virginia Tech and Apple, is that I was approached at one time because it, it turned out, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure anybody really understood, but the, the G5s had, I believe it was non-ECC memory, And anyway, something like that. Do you remember that, John? I don't remember. I don't have a a recollection of whether it was ECC or not. Well, anyway, all the G5s basically became a a giant brick. (laughs) (laughs) It was a non-functional supercomputer and uh, because of the memory. There was some memory problem that happened. Mm. And uh, Apple... Steve Jobs had a had a group of people on campus uh, filming a commercial just after it happened. And I got a call from the vice president of information technology at Virginia Tech. I was in uh, Washington, D.C., about four hours away. And he said, I need to meet you for dinner. And I said, well, I'm headed home. Uh, do you want me to come to Blacksburg tomorrow night? No, no. He says, you don't understand. I'll come to Roanoke if you can meet me there. So. I drove the four hours, met the vice president of information technology and the head of the supercomputer. And he said, I'm about to throw Apple off campus. And I said, OK. Uh, and why would that be? And he said, uh, the computers aren't working, and the uh, Apple education vice president wants us to buy new ones. <laughs> and so I said, Oh. <laughs> so I, I said, Well, let me make some calls. And uh, that night, I went and called Bud Tribble, and I said, "Bud, you need to talk to Steve. We've got a big problem." And uh, and I also called Apple's uh, vice president of education. I didn't get him, uh, but anyway, uh, the net of it was uh, a, a deal got worked out when Steve found out what was, what it was really going on. And um, did they get their extras for free? Yeah. They got them, and uh, they got them for the difference in – I believe it was the difference in price between the x serves and the G5s, something like They had to pay something, but it wasn't – they didn't have to pay the whole shot. And the G5s just had new memory put in them and were sold as sort of a – oh, I a memento. I don't know how well they sold, but they went to one of the Big Mac resellers, the mail-order resellers. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah.
0: In hindsight – do you think Apple should have stayed with supercomputing because they got off to a great start after that?
1: I, I personally think Apple should have stayed in the enterprise uh, and really went at, gone after supercomputing. And I, I just think that at some point in, in Apple's history, we're going to be able to look back and say that was a fork they should have taken or at least put more resources into Um and and I say that for you know uh, sort of an interesting reason. Uh, I you know I currently work now. I'm, I'm working as a uh, in a company. We build fiber networks. We're probably one of the few companies around that actually use Macs for our production work. And we we noticed that the software that uh, Apple delivers, Pages, Numbers, et cetera, isn't quite of the quality that we'd like to see for enterprise work. And I think it's, you know, just a lack of focus on Apple's part. I mean, we still use the software, we still use the products, but we'd love to see a little bit more focus on that. And, um, uh, anyway, we, uh, you know, I, I it's, it's, hard to say Apple's a very successful company. They've certainly made a lot of money. Uh, I would have probably chosen a few other paths with them. i uh, if if I had to pick the sort of the high point of Apple, when Apple was producing the nine hundred ninety nine dollars uh, little uh, MacBooks, plastic MacBooks, I think Apple was sort of hitting on all cylinders at that time. It had reasonable price products, it had great high performance, easy to upgrade products like the G five, and uh, it was a it was a great time. I, st- I by the way I still have a. 2004 G, dual G5 aluminum case dual G5, and it still it still runs. Um, I, if I could find a good really good browser for it, I, I'd <laughs> I, think to it I think it
0: maxed out somewhere. It's no leopard though. I'd be dubious about putting it on the internet.
1: <laughs> oh, no, it actually, I, I've had it on the internet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> be careful. <laughs> So, in yes. your in your book, you kind of recap this uh, h- glorious history and career, and you close with uh, some lessons learned about your experiences working with Apple. Late like In the book, you have like a page of lessons. Share that with us.
1: To be honest, I can't remember it right now, John. <laughs> I need to go look. <laughs> you want to start me off with a couple of them? And I'll
0: Sure. Hang on a second. I've got them right here.
1: I know I've got them too. I just didn't have it right
0: in front of me. Ah, there it is. Never be afraid to tell the truth. Lies are too hard to keep track of in a busy world.
1: Yeah, I've got them. Always
0: spend the company's money like it's your own.
1: Yep, I've got them. Well, um, I think if I had to sum sum it all up about Apple and, and what the great experience of Apple was to me, it was the people. And and I think that that goes to the heart of uh, respecting the hard work of the people who are trying to contribute and trying to find value in every employee. For many years when I worked at Apple, uh, no one at Apple really cared about job titles. Uh, we were too busy to for job titles. We were too busy for employees. Uh, and, and a good example is... When we started the Apple office in Halifax, Nova Scotia, they they said, go start an office. And it was not like, you know, this is what you got to do. You got to talk to facilities. They said, no, just go rent an office (laughs) And, and go do it. And that was the attitude at Apple. Probably, I would say, until the early 90s when things kind of got off track. And it was a a very unique place because you had employees, which, as a manager, the challenge was keeping people from working themselves to death. Um, Because people wanted to get the job done. They believed that they were doing something of value. And and part of that came from the fact that when you demonstrated a Macintosh, and I can remember when it happened to me, uh, uh, it was – it was uh, when I was uh, d- demonstrating um, some Adobe products, and I, I can't—I'm I can't, trying to remember the name of the uh, Adobe product, the vector imaging e- editing product with, of Adobe, right now. But anyway, I was demonstrating a project, uh, a product of uh, of Adobe's on a Mac, and I'd been showing PageMaker, and. Uh, you know, I just—you uh, saw lights go off in people's eyes of well, oh my God, I I can do this. This is the kind of stuff that that I can take and I can create with. And so it was a time when you were putting technology in front of people, and people were just—they were thrilled, and it made their jobs easier. It made them, uh, a new vision of what was possible. So it was a wonderful time and. It was almost like you know people really didn't care about the price, and because I mean it was expensive stuff. I mean, the first laser riders that we sold in Canada were seven thousand dollars a piece. Seven thousand dollars, and we couldn't get them fast enough. And uh, so it was it was a pretty unique time to be involved, and the fact that uh, we had people that were always trying to do their best, and you didn't have to worry about motivating people and and i used to laugh and i said uh, the system engineers and and you know well how hard our system engineers work i said they don't work for money they work for technology the love of technology and that was what was special about those uh most of those years at apple people worked for the love of technology and how technology could change people's lives i think it changed a little when steve came back uh Steve was very focused on proving that he knew how to make money. Uh, And and that was really what it was all about. And uh, I think that's probably, if I had to worry about Apple now, that's what I would worry about. Apple's a little too focused on making money. But, uh, you know, then, and again, I'm not at Apple anymore.
0: That's a great place to wrap it up and very sage advice and observations about Apple. Thank you, David. We're going to have to kind of close the show, I want to thank you so much for coming on and telling me about your life and times of career in the atmosphere at Apple. Great stories. Sometimes the listeners like to contact the guests and chat with them or learn more. Um, if the listeners want to contact you, how can they do that?
1: Well, the, the best way would be uh, by email and uh, use uh, uh, one of my personal emails, which is uh, David at N is in Nancy, L is in Larry, R is in Roger, Dot, C is in Charlie, C is in Charlie. Okay, I'll and put I, that in the show notes. And I try to respond, but uh, I do have a day job, so. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, again, I want to thank you for coming on Background Mode and sharing your story. It's been a nice experience. Folks, you've been listening to former Apple Director of Federal Sales, David Sabata, on Background Mode. We'll see you again next week.